What is up? And welcome back to the Fortman Podcast. I am so excited for my guest today because honestly, in another lifetime, he lives um, the exact life that I would want. He gets to do uh, something that I think would be awesome, getting to be the chaplain for a sports team, and not only a sports team, but the Texas A&M Aggies. So Mikado Henson, man, welcome to the podcast. Appreciate you, Kristen. Thanks for having me. It's an honor to be with you. Of course, man. No, really, you... You know, I've gotten to I've gotten to interact with you a few times, just as at different events and stuff, and just the things that you get to do, and uh, just some of the stories that I've gotten to hear you kind of tell. It's just I'm jealous because it really is so cool. It just you know, co- collegiate athletes and um, sports is something that I'm really passionate about. That's why you know a lot of this podcast is about physical training because I love working out. I love sports. I grew up you know, considering myself an athlete and, uh, still I would consider myself an athlete. So I love, uh, I love sports in general and, uh, just getting to disciple athletes, I'm sure is, is one of the coolest things for you to get to do. So I'm, I'm really excited for our conversation because I want to hear a little bit more about the ins and outs of all the things that you get to do and see. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely roller coaster. So we can jump on and buckle up. All right, let's do it. Well, let's jump on it, man. So explain a little bit to those listening, uh, who you are, what you do, um, and how long you've kind of been in the business of doing what you're doing. Yeah, well, my name is Mikado Henson, and um, I've had the privilege of working in collegiate athletics, uh, primarily with college football, since uh, 2000. This is my 24th season uh, in college football, 14 at the University of Houston, serving as the director of FCA and the team chaplain for their football team. And this is my 10th year on staff, my 10th season with Texas A&M, serving as a director of player development. So my inroads into this industry really came through the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. When I was serving in the inner cities of Houston uh, with FCA, middle school and high school, I got a phone call from Coach Dana Demel, who was the head coach at University of Houston at the time. And he said, I'm really looking for a chaplain for my team. And I was the only one who raised my hand in the office. My life was changed completely in college uh, for eternity. And so I was 24 years old at the time and said, man, I think I could relate to these student athletes and walked into that door. And people say, man, what a great career. I really think it chose me as opposed to me choosing it. And it has been a great joy. I've gotten to live in my sweet spot for a long time. And I don't know how many people are able to say that. But again, a lot of highs, a lot of lows, but it has definitely been a journey that I wouldn't trade for anything. Yeah. So you were just helping out with FCA in middle school and high school, and you got a call from the University of Houston to come be their their chaplain? Yeah. So I was um, an inner city FCA rep, my first and only job out of college, and was serving in the schools. If this name may ring a bell, I was Vince Young, high school chaplain. Uh, were you really? Football team. <laughs> Were you Madison, really? Yeah, at Madison High School. That is so cool. School district and um, doing uh, setting up FCA studies all around the city. And so I was on full time staff with FCA. Uh, my wife and I moved to Houston. Didn't know anyone. Had a nine month old baby at the time, and we started our our career, our job, and ministry. And in 2000, Dana Demo called our office, and our FCA director kind of basically put his phone on mute and said, anyone want to be chaplain at the University of Houston? And I was the only one who raised my hand, only because my life had been changed in college. And I said, man, I would love to work with collegiate athletes. And so my my world into college football was really just 
Um, someone asking a question about being a chaplain. I didn't know what it looked like. I didn't know what it meant. I thought it was speaking before games and being a chapel speaker and being a chaplain, two completely different roles and uh, something I've learned to love and grow in and embrace. And so, yeah, I, again, I didn't choose it. It chose me. And I'm, I'm really glad that it did. Yeah, that is awesome. Was there any yeah. was there any hesitation when like when you raised your hand or was it was it pretty instantaneous? Yeah, it was instantaneous. I just didn't know what all it it involved. And so I ended up meeting with the coach and he said, man, I really just want you to shepherd my guys. You know, um, a lot of them come from a church background. Uh, many of them don't. But I the, coach Demel just saw the value and the importance of providing an opportunity for his team and his coaches uh, to grow spiritually. There's just so much time that's invested in athletics that unfortunately, sometimes your spiritual life takes a back seat unless you make it number one priority. And so to be able to, as Tommy Nelson said, represent God's presence in a secular situation, uh, that was um, really a wheelhouse for me just because I knew I was called to ministry. I just didn't think that I was called to pulpit church ministry or church staff. And so I get to smell like the sheep. I get to be in the locker rooms, as Dr. Howard Hendricks once said, in the midst of all the hells and the dams to make sure that the gospel still works. So yeah. that's where I get to walk in. That is so cool. So how, how old were you when, when you raised your hand that day? That To become the chaplain there? Yeah, yeah at Houston. Yeah, I was 24 years old. So you think about it, you got seniors who were 22. I know, yeah. That, that's what I was going to ask you. Did you, did you, was that like an intimidating, like, did you feel any kind of like maybe disqualified in a sense of being like, I'm, you know, I'm only 24 and I'm speaking into these people's lives and they're only, you know, two or three years younger than me? <laughs> well, Christian, I'll be honest with you, and I don't know if any listeners will be able to relate, but. 24 years later, I still feel pretty unqualified at times. Yeah. Um, no, I believe that God called me to that. And then when he called me to that, he was going to equip me for that. And so the way Carl Henson raised me, bro, is that that's my father. And I, I really have not felt intimidated by many situations in my life. Yeah. But sometimes feeling whether I, one thing I knew how to do, I knew how to love people. Yeah. And I knew how to meet them right where they were, and I knew how to not judge them yeah. where they were. Because all I'd have to do is look in my own rearview mirror, and I wouldn't have to look too far back. I mean, a guy's dog, I was 24 years old. Yeah. And so uh, I knew that I knew how to do those things, and I felt like I knew how to do those things well and in a genuine and authentic way. I, but 24 year la years later, I'm still growing in this role. I'm still constantly having to pivot and shift and um I, I honestly don't do ministry like I did it 24 years ago. And I'd like to think that I've grown. I was kind of a, a big brother in that during that time. But being 48 years old now, I'm kind of like a dad. Yeah. And so that those roles have shifted and changed a little bit. And I had to adjust and grow in those roles or else I'd fossilize and become obsolete. And I don't want that to happen. Yeah. Well, I mean, you're definitely, I mean, you know, when I'm, <clears throat> you're, you're, not that you're intimidating, but you're definitely, you definitely have a presence about you that, um, you know, that you're just, you know, you, 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 you definitely carry a presence. So I, I don't, I don't see you being intimidated by much. <laughs> well, you, you haven't met my wife. 
I'm, uh, I'm definitely intimidating. No, I'm, I'm joking. That's my bride and I love her. Um, we'll celebrate 30, uh, 26 years uh, here in our, here this month. Yeah. Um, but no, uh, the way my dad raised me is, you know, to, to love people, to show respect to people. And um, they may reciprocate, they may not, but that doesn't change how you treat people. Yeah, and that's so, so good. Yeah. And, and I've been in some spaces, bro. The Lord has allowed me to be in some spaces where you definitely can't walk in an intimidated way or you'll get run over. I mean, being in professional locker rooms, uh, I, have a, I have a pretty, I would say a large, a pretty active boxing ministry where I minister to a lot of pro boxers. And um, you definitely can't be in those spaces and be uh, sheepish and shy. And and uh, so you, you kind of have to be on your P's and Q's. Yeah. That's so good. So, so when you were at Houston and, you know, now, now doing stuff with NM, is it, are you solely football or are you kind of overall, or is it, is it all, yeah. is it all sports? Yeah. Um, when I was at Houston, I was overseeing FCA. And so I was really doing ministry to a lot of the teams through the FCA filter, but I was the chaplain for football. And that was the only team that I was chaplain for. I was traveling with them. I was at practice every day. And the same as A&M, I'm not with FCA but I'm on the football staff as the director of player development under that umbrella is that I serve as character coach, team chaplain, uh, mentor, a lot of those things off the field for the young men. And I still travel with them. I'm still at practice every day. I'm, I'm looked at as one of those on the coaching staff. And so, but because I'm a relationship person, uh, we've taken eight short-term mission trips with student athletes here at A&M. We've been to Haiti four times, been to the DR four times, and preparing to go back to the DR uh, in December with athletes from seven different sports. Wow. So through that, you, bu- you build relationships with other athletes, uh, men and women from different sports. The coaches will have you come speak to their teams, whether it be on something team building, leadership, some even say, talk about whatever you want. And uh, that's easy for me to do. <laughs> and so um, I don't abuse that privilege. It is definitely an, an honor to be able to speak uh, to those teams. So, uh, But I work primarily with football. That is my number one responsibility and priority. But in ministry, you love people. And you're not going to turn away an opportunity to encourage or challenge or correct or uh, love on someone uh, who's not in that sport. Yeah, that's so good. So I'm guessing you played sports growing up. If you wanted to kind of go into, you know, go go into wanting to disciple athletes, did you did did you play football? Did you play sports growing up? Yeah, I was mediocre at best at a lot of sports. Um, my favorite sport growing up was baseball. My dad was my coach. I was a left-handed pitcher. Played first base. Uh, naturally, bat right-handed. He taught me how to bat left-handed, and I was always playing summer ball and league ball and, and things like that. And then got involved with uh, golf and I did play football. Again, I was probably as average a football player that you'll ever find. Uh, my growth spurt up and out <laughs> didn't come until after high school. And so I was such a tweener. I was too slow to play a skill position. And I was, believe it or here's the part that's really unbelievable. I was too small to play on either sides of the line. So there was really not a position for me, but I did enjoy being on teams. And, um, but again, I wasn't one of those difference makers on the field. Yeah. Uh, I wasn't walking with Christ. I wasn't making a difference in anyone's lives off the field either, <laughs> but, um, 
but I did. I love sports. I watch sports. My favorite sport is boxing, uh, something I've dabbled around with. I've done a lot of shadow boxing, hitting bags, and uh, very some sparring, but I hit bags because they don't hit back. But that is my number one sport. I, I've loved boxing for a long time and um, have gotten active in gyms and, and, and with fighters. I still pray with some world championship fighters before they fight, literally from the locker room. Wow. Um, but yeah, so I, I was heavily involved with sports. And then I went to college as a sports broadcaster. I majored in broadcasting. So I traveled with our, I went to Norfolk State University in Norfolk, Virginia. It's an HBCU. And I traveled with basketball and football doing play-by-play and color commentary. And then my senior year, I started feeling a tug on my heart for something different than broadcasting sports. And it was ministry through sport. And that's where I was introduced to FCA and the opportunity that there might be by joining on staff. And so I was able to marry uh, two passions, uh, my love for God and my love for athletics, and was able to uh, marry those together as one and work on FCA staff for 16 years in the greater Houston area. Yeah, that is so cool. What a... <clears throat> What um what position would you have played if if your uh, if if your spurt had come a little earlier? Uh, probably. Well, now offensive line completely. Yeah. Uh, I would like to have thought that I could have played defensive line. Just don't know that I was athletic enough. Yeah. I'm saying O linemen aren't athletic. There are a lot plenty, but yeah, they would have put me as close to the ball as possible and said, "You just take up space." I was a a space eater. Yeah. Or I would be now. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, I mean, that's such a cool story because, you know, I think sometimes, and you've probably seen it too, but I think we're, you know, even just with social media and stuff, you, you know, so many people want to, um, you know, want to do ministry and, and, and which, which is awesome, but, and not that necessarily all the times it's, it's, it's for the, it's bad to want influence and, and to want, mm-hmm. you know, a bigger role or whatever, but I think sometimes, you know, sometimes people want the goal without kind of doing the stuff to get there, right? It's yeah. like, I want to be on the stage and I want to be, I want to have a lot of followers, but you don't, you know, you don't understand all the back end stuff of, yeah. you know, the toll that that can take. And, you know, you know, for you, like getting to, 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 to work for Houston and getting to be, to be for A&M, but it started being, you know, ministering to middle schoolers and high schoolers, yeah. like, you know, which is not as fancy as you know maybe what you're doing now and i think it's 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 so cool to hear you say that you raised your hand that day because it was something something that you could relate to not necessarily like this is gonna this is a better opportunity or a bigger opportunity for me because i think sometimes you know i think sometimes we can just get caught up with you know wanting the next big thing without really kind of just laying the groundwork for for what god's really called us to do so that's um that's such a cool story, man. That's really, that's really cool. Cause you know, you've, you really have, um, changed so many people's lives just with, with what you're doing. And, you know, earlier you mentioned being a bigger, being a big brother to, to the athletes. And now maybe you're more of a father figure just because you're getting a little older. Um, but so much of it is just about discipling and just hearing, hearing some of the things that you've said, that's really, it's really cool and encouraging and, and just kind of hearing the origin of that. That's, that's a really cool story. Well, I appreciate it, bro. You know, it's really just John 10 ministry, you know, yeah. about um, being a shepherd 
and um, knowing the voice of, you know, the sheep know the shepherd's voice and the voice of a stranger they won't follow. I'm not putting myself in the role of Christ, but I am a representative of his around people uh, who are made and created in his image. And so, man, I just want to be present. You know, I want to be there. I want them to know my voice. I want them to to to, to feel uh, me loving them through situations and all the highs and lows. It's easy for a hundred and some thousand people to come when things are going great on the football field. But as of a couple of weeks ago, you know, I flew to Nebraska with one of our football players whose brother passed away and was just trying to be there for him and his family during a very, very tough time. Again, it's easy to cheer them on when they're out there making plays on the football field, but a lot of people don't show up when they're going through the tough times of life. So um, just trying to be a, a shepherd and, and lead people and love people right where they are. Um, you know, and to kind of go back to what you were talking about just a little bit ago, Christian, um, people always say to me, I get this a lot, man, dude, you've made it big time. You're in the SEC, you're at Texas A&M. And I still don't completely grab hold of that. Like what is, okay, I understand from the optics what you're trying to say. But, man, I remember standing in Johnston Middle School with Coach Johnny Simmons talking to his gym class and then him telling me, you know, you can't leave without praying for my kids, Coach, and um, standing there with our eyes open, praying for all the kids that will come through his gym class because Coach Johnny Simmons was impacting lives big time. Coach Ray Seals, Madison High School. Um, yeah, he coached Vince Young. But he also coached, coached a lot of people that none of us will ever know about. But Coach Seals involved me in a lot of things that he was doing in his program as far as being able to come and share and talk and uh, take through just different um, curriculums and things like that with his, with his athletes. And I'm like, man, there were no cameras there. There was no social media presence. There was no social media invented yeah. at that time. But it was just about planting seeds watering seeds, and um, just trusting that God was going to give the increase. And so I appreciate when people say, oh, you made it big time. Man, I just want to be faithful right where I am. Because big time was standing there in Johnston with Coach Simmons. Big time was being in Madison with Coach Ray Seals. Big time was being the chaplain for Houston Baptist University women's basketball. Um, all of those things that I was fortunate to be a part of and be able to do. And so, yes, it's an honor to be where I am and it's humbling, but I try to make big time wherever I am. Yeah. And so that's, what's been, been good for me. That, that's kind of a hot spot for me in uh, talking about, and as I encourage other people who are young in this profession, uh, trying to um, find their way. And I'm like, bro, you got to be willing. I've been two places in 24 years in college football. And I'm like, you got to be willing to dig deep. Yeah. If your roots are shallow and you're just looking for the next opportunity. Are you are are the people are you using people to get that next job, or is your motivation really to impact lives until God says move? Yeah, that's so, so good. That's kind of me. Yeah, no, that's so good. I mean, it really it really is just being faithful where you are. Like, yeah, you're being faithful with 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 where you are with with what you've been given, and if doors open because of your faithfulness, that's great. I mean, I, that's right. You 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 can only manipulate so much to where you, you know, to where you really kind of hinder the spirit to what to what you're actually being called to. Um, yeah. you, you, you said earlier that, that you, um, 
that your life got changed in college uh, eternally. What uh, what was that moment like for you when when you started following Jesus? Well, a, it took me a while. Um, I grew up unchurched, grew up in a, a solid home. Dad, blue collar man. Dad was in the grocery business, worked hard. Mom was an occupational therapist, worked hard. Have one older sibling, and um, you know we were good people, but we had no foundation. Uh, in our life. And it wasn't until middle school, I'm going to fast forward pretty quick through this, a young lady in middle school that I sat by every day because she had gum and she was pretty. Doesn't take a lot for me, I guess, but um, I sat by Don White every day. Well, Don White had gum, but she had something else. And she was willing to share that. And she lived out her faith. She shared her faith with me from the eighth grade until the Lord took her home our senior year of high school. She never saw me come to Christ, but she was faithful in um, witnessing to me, being a light, just but not overbearing. Not She never beat me over the head with scriptures, but it was a, a long wooing that the Lord was drawing me with loving kindness, and he was using Don White as the vessel. She ended up getting Hodgkin's lymphoma in um, high school. It went into remission. She ended up getting sick, getting pneumonia senior year. She died. So she never see, saw me come into the promised land. She she was kind of like Moses that led me to the edge. But my freshman year of college, I realized that I was missing something in my life that I was chasing after. And little did I realize it was the hounds of heaven that were chasing after me. And my freshman year of college, man, I gave my life to Jesus as my savior. I just had not surrendered to him as my Lord. And it really wasn't until that was 1993. And it really wasn't until 95, 96. And I said, okay, I'm going to surrender and uh, give him ownership of my life. And um, man, that's kind of where my journey began. And then I ended up going all the way to Norfolk, Virginia, got plugged in with the church, grew a lot. My senior year got married to my wife, Chandra and man, life started really fast. And so, uh, but yeah, I came to Christ as a freshman in college. That's why I felt that college ministry was um, so special and appropriate that I could walk in. Because I'm like, dude, I get it, man. I get what you're going through. I get what you're feeling. And I get not being, not wanting to go all in. I get that completely. And so that's kind of giving me um, trust with people when I'm talking about faith. Because I'm like, I've been there, bro. Like, I get it. That's so good. So, yeah. What? For you, what what was that differentiation between Savior and Lord? Like when you know when you say surrender, do you mean mm-hmm. you know like almost like the Galatians five, like crucifying the flesh, like kind of st- still struggling with that? And because I, th- I think for me, when I first saw when I first started started following Jesus, it was you know because <clears throat> I because for, for me, it's always the language for me just kind of gets confusing at times when I yeah. you know of like. Was I saved at VBS when I loved Jesus when I was 10? Maybe. But then from age 14 to 19, I was crazy. So it's like, you know, you know, the whole salvation. And then, you know, when did I, when did I fully surrender? I mean, even in early on in college, I mean, I fully surrendered, but I still had all the things I struggled with. Uh, And conviction over time became stronger to things, you know, after sanctification, like, my conviction towards things got stronger. The Holy Spirit in me got louder. Um, yeah. 
So I think I think sometimes I can even have difficulty putting the language to like where where my life really changed, but it wasn't fully culminated. Like you know, kind of like you said, a few years down the road. So for you, what was that? You know, just kind of the difference in in, in realizing I've made Jesus my savior, but he's not. I'm not fully surrendered in all aspects of life to him. Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I was always known as the good guy. Yeah. Right. But I also knew, man, that I was, my heart was evil and desperately wicked and was in need of a savior. All I knew is that I remember when I prayed to receive Christ as savior, I knew that he was saying, follow me. I didn't know what that looked like, but I knew when I did that. Okay. So that's why I was saying that he became my savior, uh, December of 1993, right? But nothing about my outward life changed. A lot of my appetites still controlled me. And I didn't even know how to surrender those things to God. Again, I had no foundation, no background. All I knew is that, you know what? This feels right. I'm a sinner. I've missed the mark. I need a savior. Jesus came to die for me. I'm receiving that free gift that he's offering me. And then it was kind of like a now what? I didn't step into a deep, hard uh, discipleship program. Man, I just started kind of journeying along and reading my old King James Bible and things like that. But it really got to a point, bro, where I was like, okay, what does Lord mean? And then when I read that it means owner, master, and ruler, and I'm like, dang, does he have lordship of my life? No, I remember getting saved, but he's not own. He didn't own my life. I feel like I still own my life. I feel like that I had not been crucified with Christ. I was still living, even though I received this free gift. And I don't think I did anything with that for the first couple of years because my language didn't change. Um, my, my outward appearance of, you know, how I was living didn't change. And it really wasn't. Into, and, and yes, people say, oh, so you got it all together? No, this is a die daily type relationship. And so at the end of the day, 20 something years into this thing, and you better make that a, you better make the relationship with the Lord as small as you need to make it so that you can uh, walk with him daily. Yeah. The That's moment so you think you got it together, be careful because you just ignored uh, the road signs and the road is about to end. You're about to fall off the cliff. That's so good because there really is a gap. And I think in that gap, it's, it's, it's almost like, you know, Romans six where Paul's talking about, yeah. um, you know, how the tug can of you, war. huh? The, yeah, go ahead. No, no, well, being dead to sin. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. If, um, Oh gosh, why am I drawing a blank on it? But it's, it's Romans six. I think it's Romans six, one. Shall um, we continue in sin? Yeah, shall we continue? Shall we, yeah, shall we continue sin so that grace may bow? By no means, you who died to sin, how can you live in any longer? Don't you know that yeah. all of us who were baptized into Christ were? Yeah, but it's, it's, it, it's that thing of, because that's what they were doing, right? They had accepted Jesus, but yeah. they knew that if we sin, we get grace. So, Let's just keep sitting so that you know yeah. that we can get more grace. And Paul's saying that you, you've you know you've completely missed it. And I think yeah. sometimes we do live in that of of um, you know I can do this and I can repent for it because God will forgive yep. me. Yep. But it's like, but if there's no conviction the first time for it, then it's almost like right. you're just you know like you said your outward appearance hasn't really changed. There's no yeah. you know there's like where's the fruit? Where's the you know, where's the fruit of the spirit that Galatians five talks about? You yeah. know, Paul Paul says there's a 
there's um you know there's this line right there's this acts of the sinful nature and there's the fruits of the spirit and Paul says that mm-hmm. if you're if you're living like this it's obvious you know sexual morality uh, just debauchery envy drunkenness right. all, all, all the things and Paul says it's obvious that you don't have to really you know do like a internal like am I really living like this Paul says it's obvious and I think yeah sometimes we we can just get in that in that in that Romans six mindset of just, yep. uh, you know, if if God's gracious, which He is, but He's also you know He's also justice, so we can't just keep living in sin just because we know He'll forgive us. There has to be there has to be that moment where you truly do crucify, you know, and and you really do suppress those appetites like you talked about, and and it's still, you know, what would you say you're forty eight? Is that what you said? Correct. Yes, I mean there's still, I mean. There's still things that I'm sure you're like, man, I didn't think I would still be struggling with this at 48. I mean, I'm only 25 and I'm like, good gosh, I thought, you know, why am I, why am I still wrestling with this? I mean, I'm, you know, I'm following Jesus, but it's like, but you still have, like, we're still sinful, but it's just a daily, it's still a daily surrender and a daily just trying to put to death those things that we know are just evil within us. You know, having to take up our cross daily. Yeah, uh, to to follow him, to deny ourselves, and to take up our cross. Luke nine twenty three. So it is a literal day by day. If you need to make it smaller than that, an hour by hour, you need to make it smaller than that, minute by minute. Just walking, and but also learning to enjoy the relationship with Christ. Yeah, you know, I think sometimes we're just trying to avoid the landmines and stepping on the landmines. And I want to do right. I want to live. Da, 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 da but we don't even take the time to enjoy this beautiful, loving relationship mm-hmm. that Jesus desires to have with us, you know? And the more time you spend with someone like you have spent with your wife and I've spent with my wife, Chandra, you know, we don't want to do things that let them down. Mm-hmm. We don't want to do things that hurt them. We may say something and we're like, Oh snap. I owe her an apology. You know, it came out the wrong way, my, you know, whatever it was. I think sometimes in our relationship with the Lord, we get so uh, busy and is this right or is this wrong and that we just forget to even enjoy him. And I think this relationship is to be enjoyed and it can be most fully enjoyed when we are most fully surrendered to him. Yeah, that, that, that's what I think. That's so good. But yeah, I, I've been very guilty of prostituting the grace of God. Yeah, no, we, that we all have. And, yeah. <laughs> So I, I, I can't ask, you know, talk to one of the listeners of your podcast and say, I'm sure you have. No, I must turn it on me. Sure, I have. Right. And um, man, it's, yeah, at 48 years old. Yes, I'm 20 something years into this walk with the Lord. And I think sometimes if if, if he could just say to me, Makato, for real, are we are we going to go about around that mountain again? You know, and so but there, but I'm thankful also that there are some mountains we've gone over and they are in the rearview mirror. Yeah. So praise the Lord for that. Yeah. That's awesome, man. Well, you know, I, um, as, as I've mentioned already many times throughout this podcast, I just love, I love sports, which is why I think, you know, what, what, what you get to do is so cool. And, and not even, you know, as you mentioned earlier, not even on a bigger scale, but you know, because it, it is, but it's not like, you know, it's not viewing it as like a, Oh, you made it kind of thing, but you know, it is, it is a really cool opportunity what you get to do and there's highs and there are lows with it. You know, you, you just mentioned fly back to Nebraska with, with one of the players who lost a brother. How do you, how do you lead in moments where, 
you know, y'all are coming off of a loss to Tennessee, which, which, which I know hurt. How do you lead in moments where, you know, like kind of what's the difference for you leading and, and kind of discipling players in a moment where you're facing a loss versus you're kind of coming after or, or a big win, for instance, like, how do you, how do you kind of navigate, um, the games like that in a sense of, you know, kind of, you know, feeling out the mood of the room and kind of the, just kind of the team dynamics of a big win or after big loss. How do you kind of lead in different moments after that? Yeah, it's going to sound super spiritual and I don't mean for it to come across that way, but I just continue to try to be a light because when, when you lose and you expect to win, it can become a pretty dark situation, whether it be in your own mind, just the mood of the team, just everything that's kind of going on. And, and I don't come in super bubbly. Hey, what's going on, guys? You know, I don't do that. I, I feel it with you. Um, but just trying to meet guys at their lowest moment, just letting them know that, hey, man, I know you may be feeling this way, but the truth is your identity is not in that. But that even has to, you have to really be careful in how I approach that as if what they're feeling is not important, Right. And so I just try to be, again, it goes back to being present. Yeah. You know, a lot of people, I tell guys all the time, I'll give you a perfect example. A couple of years ago, we lost to Arkansas and Mississippi State back-to-back weeks. And a, a guy on our team was getting death threats, um, uh, cash app notifications in his DM saying, you owe me money, da 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 I lost money. And he was just in the tank, man, in the tank. And I said, don't look at all the people who are just slamming you. You're in the court of public opinion getting slammed. Don't don't look at them. Look at the people who are still here with you. Yeah. They believe in you. They're walking with you. That number will get smaller. I said, but it could also get bigger quick. It's a short walk from the outhouse to the penthouse. And the next week, we beat Alabama. They were number one. And they carried him off the field. And I said, bro, don't ever get too high with the highs. Don't get too low with the lows. Fight for the middle. No matter what, fight for the middle. It's never as good as it seems, never as bad as it seems. So I try to help Christian bring perspective uh, to what's going on. It's never as doom and gloom as you think it is. And it's never all just, you know, roses and, and just beauty as, as when it's on the high end. So I literally try to bring them back to perspective and say, you're playing in this stadium, this beautiful Kyle Field, seven times a year. Okay? 50, okay, and then you add the away game. So 50 weeks out of the year, there's no crowd cheering or booing you. You're living with more time with that helmet hanging up in your locker than it is on your head. And if you're allowing those games, and yes, they hurt because we're competitors and we want to win, right? I think we were created for that desire to want to win. But at the end of the day, I try to help them see the, the big picture perspective that you're still loved. You know, there's a God who doesn't love you based on your performance. There's a God who loves you because he is love, right? And that's who he is. And so I try to get super close and I try to help them navigate. Um, it's like any major city has a loop. And these, I call the guys downtown. I'd say they're kind of like downtown. I try to be the loop of the city far yeah. enough not to get in their way close enough that they can get access to. And so, um, you know, when the guys are going through their low moments and things like that, I just kind of let them know, man, how much they're loved, how much they're supported, 
uh, things like that, because it gets pretty lonely uh, for sure when you go through things like that that they consider devastating. That's so, yeah, no, for sure, that's so true. How much, how much does the outward public kind of have? I don't, I don't, maybe not have a say, but to you know, to some extent, influence um, kind of things you address because I, I can imagine going from Houston to A and M. I'm sure a has a lot more passion of a fan base, a lot more, you know, just a higher standard. Every every team in the SEC West, SEC East thinks that their team should go undefeated. I mean, you know, if you lose a game, you know, I mean, they want to fire the coach and buy him out and whatever for losing two games, whatever. How, I mean, has that, has that been a, diff, like a, a different navigating process for you on how to speak into players' lives? You know, you just talked about someone getting death threats, and I, I'm sure that's a common thing for most teams in the SEC because they have such passionate fan bases and you know you're 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 putting all this pressure on 18 19 and 20 year olds to perform to a standard because you know you expect that out of them because they're playing at a at a big division 1 school has um you know I I don't really know necessarily exactly what I'm asking you but how how much does you know outside dynamics of fan bases and crowds and, and those kind of things play into the ways that you kind of disciple the players in house. Yeah. I think it plays a lot into it because, you know, pressure can make you go one of a couple of directions, right? There is a lot of pressure to perform well here at Texas A&M and rightfully so it's a prestigious university. It's a great university with amazing alumni. I've met some of the finest people I've ever met in my life in in my years here. And yes, there are high expectations, but that's why you sign up to play in this conference is because you have those same high expectations for yourself. But also you have to be willing to give yourself grace, you know, when things don't go the way you think they should go, when you don't perform as well or you get injured or whatever it is. People, people have access to our student-athletes. And it's through social media. And when people are faceless, they can say a whole lot and a lot of venomous things. And if you're not careful, those things can affect you. And those things can spill over into performance anxiety. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not enough. You know, just all those things that you can start to question yourself. And so it is my, my passion. And I feel like it's part of my responsibility to walk alongside them and just encourage them to be careful of the voices that they're listening to or the ones that they're entertaining. Mm -hmm. Um, Because some of the people that you even think may be for you, they're not for you. And some of the people who may say it out of a genuine concern and love, it just may come out the wrong way. Words on in text don't give you the ability to emote. So you may read something and it it may not be as bad as if you heard it. And so I, I, Guys will bring things up to me all the time, messages they've received and things like that. And I'll just kind of help them help tap the balloon back to the middle <laughs> a little bit, help calm them down. So mm-hmm. to answer your question, I, I feel it is a great responsibility because I know uh, that the as much as the fans want to win, trust me when I say our student athletes and our coaching staff, we want to win that times 10. You know, you don't prepare to lose. Mm-hmm. However, you know that anytime you go into competition, there is that possibility. And so, you know, guys don't go out there and intentionally make mistakes. Yeah. But it happens. 
right? Because you got real athletes on the other side of the ball trying to stop you or you're trying to stop them. And so at the end of the day, um, man, I just, it's like yesterday, you know, coming off Sunday, coming after off the Tennessee loss and get home after traveling, things like that. You're just processing, processing. And I just started sending out text messages. Hey, just checking on you. Just making sure you're good. Hugging, hugging guys when we got off the plane. I love you. I'm proud of you. And we're going to, we're going to write this thing, man. We're going to keep just working, keep grinding, things like that. Let me know if you need anything. Then I went to church, being able to worship. And I'm like, wow, the sun came up today. You know, mm-hmm. it's all not coming crashing down, but we had a few guys get injured. So after church, I reach out to those guys. How you feeling? Hey, you need anything? You need me Gatorade? You need anything? Let me run and get you some food. Just let me know how you're doing. All, and all three that I reached out to said, I appreciate you checking in. Because a lot of people aren't checking in. A lot of people are reaching out to point their finger and, you know, punch people through through social media and whatnot. So yeah. at the end of the day, it is my responsibility and it's still my calling. That's where I've had to make the pivot um, is knowing that everyone has access to our student athletes. And so I got to try to help silence those voices. For sure. I could make them go in some, some down some dark roads. Man, that's so cool. Well, it's, it's, it's cool to hear you say that. Cause I think sometimes, you know, I think sometimes you can just, you can be oblivious to the fact that like that comments like that actually do affect people. Right. I mean, you just think, you know, the starting running back of the starting receiver, you know, y'all's best receiver. I mean, y'all have a, a, a a plethora of, of people that are, you know, Moose Muhammad, Everett Stewart, all, all these crazy gifted athletes that you just would think, you know, if you make a comment on social media, they're never going to see it or it wouldn't affect them. But, you know, when you're 18, 19, 20, 21, like, and you have people actually commenting mean things, like that actually does affect you. So it's cool to hear you say that because I think, I think sometimes, you know, you do put so much pressure on the, on these student athletes and you, because, you know, like you said, it, they're just faceless people you just comment mean hateful things of you know you lost me money on FanDuel or or whatever stupid thing it could be but actually does affect you know the mental state of people and then when you affect the mental state that affects them spiritually physically like it's just it actually does affect people your words and I think that sometimes you know people just can think oh well they're you know they're they're famous or they have a big following or they you know, they'll, they'll never see this, but it actually, like, those comments actually do affect and hurt people. They do. They do, man. They say, what's the old adage? Sticks and stones may break your bones, but words will never hurt me. Can be further from the truth. Oh, yeah. Uh, words have weight. And um, that's why we're called, man, to speak life into people. You can either speak life or speak death. I choose to speak life. That's just kind of how I roll, how I operate, how I'm wired. And, um, and I know that that hopefully is a, a fruit that I can bear of a, of a, of a, a Christ follower is that I'm going to speak life into situations that, that, that look rough and tough and without hope and things like that. So people are going to be people. My wife gave me the best advice, bro, a long time ago. And I've been, again, I'll be married 26 years, October 25th. She said, Mikado, at the end of the day, People are going to do what they want to do. And I've held true. I've held on to that, bro. It's been liberating. It's freeing. So 
The people that are going to talk wild and crazy, they're going to talk wild and crazy. I have no say in that. I can't even change that. But what I can do, the people that God has allowed me to walk in life and relationship with, to build trust with, he's allowed me to pour into those people. Okay, so at the end of the day, I can't stop those words from being that all that mud being slung. I can't stop that. Yeah. But because I love these young men, I'll be willing to stand in front of it or I'll be willing to turn my back to it and then talk to them and make sure that they're covered and protected and things like that. That's what shepherds do. And yeah. so that's that's what I signed up for. It's like, man, yeah, it's tough. You want to win every single game. But knowing you go into competition, knowing things may go wrong, you may drop a pass. You may miss a tackle. You may drop an interception. Whatever it is, the world's not going to come to an end. At the end of the day, man, they're wanting to get it right. And so I'm just there just, okay, for example, we had a, we had a player fumble. Uh, third, second game of the season. And I went up to him on the sidelines. And this is not to toot my horn, but I just knew I needed to do this at that moment. And I said, hey, bro, question. Do you believe in you? He said, yeah, for sure. I said, I believe in you. And these coaches believe in you. You better have a short-term memory and get past this pretty quick. I know it sucks. It's not what happened. It's what happens next. You got to rebound from that. And so he's like, I got you, Kato. I got you. And so we hugged it up. And, um, you know, he went on to playing. But I, I just need to say, hey, man, it's not the end of the world. You fumbled. We all fumble in some way in life. Yeah. We'll get that ball again. You got to be ready. You got to be ready when it comes back to you. Yeah, that's so good. Well, I haven't even thought about that for you because – for what for what you do, there really does have to be a level headedness, you know, in your position, right? Because mm-hmm. you know, and because people are going to do what, what what people do, and some people are just stupid, you know. Yeah. Like, so there does take like because if someone says something and then you're over there, you know, super upset about it, but yet you have to disciple this kid. It's like you know, there has to be something in you that's. You know, you can't let those things get to you because that's going to affect the way that that you disciple and you teach yeah. these kids, especially you know, being a father figure and being, you know, being that role. So, because that's yeah, something you, I struggle with. It's like if we get hate on social media, it just fires me up. I just, I just get, I get, I just get so mad about it. And because, but I know that I can't let those things get to me, and especially, you know, trying to minister to people on the back end of that. You know, there has to be some level headedness and just you can't let that stuff get to you because people are going to do what people do. <laughs> you know, but also realizing that you're human. Yeah. You know, I'm not a robot and I wasn't made with a cookie cutter. And so things do upset me. Things do frustrate me. And sometimes I probably cross the line where I need to pull back a little, pull the reins back, whether it now is followed by an apology or whatever it is. But man, shoot, I'm a human being just like everybody else. And especially when people I love, okay, my family first, my wife, my three kids, man, you say something crossways to them, we have real issues. We have real, real issues. And there's either going to be a conversation or what have you beyond that. If you mess with mine or my three, I feel very similar to uh, I have a responsibility to a lot of moms and dads' sons. And when people talk wild to them, I have to catch myself because I, I can kind of take that same perspective. I kind yeah. of have a, an armor bearer nature to me. You walk up on people I love, you got real instant issues with me. And I have to keep myself from not reverting back 
whether it be to an old way or whatever it is. So there's um, there's a beauty in the loyalty and protecting, but also it can it can end up doing more harm than good. So I do have to check myself, but I also let people know that hey, I feel like you, man. Like I hurt when you hurt, I hurt, man. When you go through, I go through. Like I feel you on that. So it's, it's okay to feel those things. Um. So that's kind of how I operate in that space, man, is that I try to navigate with them. It's easy. Everyone shows up when things are great. Not many people show up when they're going bad. And um, I think God has wired me to show up when things aren't going the best. Yeah, that's so true. Because it is, you know, it is a justice nature that I think is instilled in all of us to some, you know, to some capacity. You, We all yeah. have, we all have a justice in us, you know, that, that hates wrong and, um, you know, we, we want people to do what's right. Yeah. And yeah, it's, it's, it's how we respond in those moments of injustice. Cause for me, it's sometimes I can be level-headed about it, but sometimes, man, I just, I'm going to fly off the handle, especially like you said, especially if it's to, if it's to say to her, or one of my two daughters, or whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, there, there's definitely that thing in us, but it's, 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 yeah, it's finding the balance of, of hating it, but also being in it and not, you know, losing yourself in it. Cause it, cause it can, yeah. it, it can definitely be, at least for me specifically, it can definitely be hard to, yeah, to not just lose yeah. my mind with some things. You know, the one thing Christian is God has called us to be peacemakers. He's called us to be peaceful, right? But he's not called us to be passive. Yeah. Okay. And I think sometimes, uh, they look at people, look at weakness and meekness different, you know, blessed are the meek. I want to walk in meekness, which is strength under control. I don't want to walk in weakness where there's no strength involved at all. I want to be able to harness the strength. I want to be able to be a peacemaker, but not be passive. Right. And so I can, I can walk in peace and not be a passive individual when it comes to uh, protecting and, and uh, shepherding the ones that I love. Yeah, man, that is so good. Well, Makata, man, I'm so, I'm so encouraged by our conversation, knowing that, you know, knowing that God has you where you are and, and um, you know, just even, even just watching, you know, watching AM play and just knowing that all the guys in the field are getting ministered by you and just discipled by you. It's, it's, it's super encouraging because you are, um, you're an awesome. So, uh, I'm just encouraged by you and grateful for you. And, uh, man, just keep doing what you're doing. Cause I know that you, uh, I know that you're impacting so many people's lives. Well, Christian, man, I'm honored, honored that you'd have me on your podcast. You keep doing, uh, things in the spaces God's called you to do, man. Keep impacting lives. You and your wife, you guys are a bright light for young couples. And, um, man, just honored to um, partner with you in this moment, but also honored to cheer you two on as you guys do ministry. We're definitely on the outside looking in, but it's been fun. I was at the Speak Conference um, and, 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 and got to be a part of that. I've been at Breakaway when Sadie has spoken. I've been at Passion. And so um, we, we're able to walk in some of the same spaces. But as an outsider in y'all's world, man, it's an honor and it's a blessing. Uh, to cheer you on as a young couple, man. So you guys keep making a difference and impacting lives, man. We need more like you. Thank you, man. It means a lot. I'll see you soon. All right, brother. God bless. <laughs>